every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. Uh, my name is Paul, I'm your host, and I am typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Um, I, another apology, I feel like I had to apologize on the last episode because it had been so long since I did, a, did that one. Uh, I think it's been even longer between the last episode and this one. I think it's been uh, right around a month since the last time I recorded. So an apology to my regular guests who have been, or my regular listeners who have been waiting with bated breath for a new episode. But uh, as my guest today just pointed out to me, obviously what I'm doing is trying to simulate the, uh, the wait time between the airing of episodes that people watching Buffy at the time when it originally aired that they had to go through. There was a, there was a long gap between Hush and, and these episodes we're going to talk about tonight. But um, at any rate, so what we're talking about tonight, uh, we've, we've made it to the sort of sloggy middle part of season four. Uh, we're going to be talking about episodes 411, Doomed, and 412, A New Man. Uh, and back with me again, um, after far too long, is Johnny Ho, Brazilian fan community organizer extraordinaire. Johnny, thank you so much for being patient with me and for agreeing to come back. How's it going, man? All right over here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Um, so in addition to my general apology to all of my listeners out there, apology to you, Johnny. We've we've had this episode on the books for a little while, and I've I keep pushing you down the line. Uh, we've we've had to reschedule like three times. So thank you for putting up with me. I'm a flake. I apologize. Patience is a virtual. I don't know how, how that works. Anyway. You're a very virtuous man. So thank you for being patient. Um, all right. Uh, since we're only talking about two episodes tonight, um, there's no reason to drag this out any longer. Um, I'll give you the dreaded spoiler warning before you dive in, in case this is your first time tuning in. Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. Uh, we're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and lots of them. So I recommend, if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series all the way through at least once, press pause on the, pos on the podcast. Go do that. Um, obviously... Uh, Johnny is willing to wait around for me, so we I, it's only fair. We'll wait around for you guys. Go ahead. Go watch the entire run of both series. We'll be here when you get back. Anyways, while they're doing that, um, with all the business out of the way, Johnny, if you're ready, let's get to work. Let's do it. All right, so we're going to start off with uh, episode 411, Doomed, um, which is credited, has three writers credited to it, Marty Knox and David Fury and Jane Espenson. Um, on their own, any of those writers, although I have 
I have oft mentioned that I have maybe some nit- nits to pick with Marty Noxon. Uh, all three of those writers are like, those are some of the biggies in the series, uh, in the, the pantheon of Buffy writers. Um, but it may be worth discussing whether this particular mix of the three has sort of given us something worthy of their pedigree. Johnny, what did you, uh, how did you feel about Doomed? First, full disclosure, uh, season four is actually one of my favorite seasons. Oh, Maybe okay. My second favorite season. So I may be biased a little bit towards the episodes from this season. Okay. Um, I'm curious about uh, if if it's noticeable if certain writers wrote certain, certain sections from the episodes. Um, there's a, a, another episode further into the series, I think season seven, in which also features several writers, in which the breakdown of what was written by each writer was very clear. But I don't know if, it, if, if this is the case for Doomed. If we can clearly see the voice of Marty, David, or Jane for certain sections of the episode. I, I don't know. I, I didn't, as I was rewatching this, I didn't necessarily think of that. Like I wasn't paying attention for that kind of detail. Um, with maybe the exception of Marty Noxon, which I'll get to in just a second. But, um, so I don't know. There, there may have been some some discussion about this in the the realms of academia. I don't know if anyone at Slayhedge has has uh, written any paperwork. Anyone in the Whedon Studies Association has looked into this. Um, so yeah, I don't know what the exact breakdown is. Like which writer was responsible for for what? Um, I would say if I had to guess, and this is entirely completely a guess. Um, I have no idea if any of this is accurate or not, but. Um, I, I, I'm controversially not the biggest fan of Marty Noxon or Buffy Summers herself. (laughs) Typically I, I enjoy both in certain respects, but I think each of them kind of pushes my buttons from time to time. So in this particular episode, I actually was, was taking note. I don't know if this is because of sort of the, the meat space, real world, drama that I'm going through right now that's sort of contributed to the the weird recording schedule of this podcast. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but for whatever reason on this revisit of this episode, I was, I was particularly impatient with the character of Buffy, like, like Buffy annoyed me more in this episode than, than she has for a while. And, um, so part of my brain, I feel like sort of associated, um, her arc like her lines and everything in this episode with Marty Noxon, perhaps entirely unfair of me. I apologize. Um, and likewise, I tend to associate Jane Espenson with some of the funnier stuff that the show ever gives us. I feel like she is really the queen of comedy on this show. Um, right up there with Joss, maybe even surpassing Joss. I don't know if that's heresy or not, but so I tend, to th- I, I tend to think of the, the just straight up, like hilarious stuff in this episode, I kind of subconsciously attribute to Jane Espenson. I don't know. That's fair. Like the CBS joke midway through the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so you said that season four, your bias is here, that season four is one of your favorite seasons. Um, I, I think that's, 
I don't know if that applies to me. I tend to defend season four, I feel like, more than a lot of people. I feel like season four gets a lot of, a lot of guff from the fans, and I kind of go to bat for it more often than I feel like a lot of people. But I don't know. Um, like, I would probably go season five, three, four, maybe. I don't know if that's accurate. <laughs> but, uh, but I do enjoy season four on the whole. I don't... Uh, I don't give season four the grief that a lot of people do. The initiative doesn't bother me as much as I feel like it bothers a lot of people. It, Riley certainly doesn't bother me as much as he seems to bother a lot of fans. They don't bother me either. I actually think they have a lot of potential that could have, <coughs> sorry, could have been better explored. Mm -hmm. Both the concept of the initiative and also Riley Finn, who... For for the first time this season, we get Mark Lucas added to the credits. That's right. He That's finally, like, he, yeah, he finally earns a spot on the opening credits. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a question really quick. Did the audio? I, I don't know if this is. So I'm watching these on Hulu, and I don't know if something about Hulu and their presentation, their their format has changed recently, or if it really was this episode. But rewatching Doomed. And I think even maybe a little bit into uh, a new man, but I I especially noticed it in Doomed. Did the audio seem weird to you? Um, I don't know. I use my old DVDs, so uh, okay, just like the way I remember, I think. But I haven't watched them in a while, so okay. Well, might... so if you were watching it watching it from the DVD, then did you? Look, so here's the thing. I to me, it felt like. Um, a lot of the dialogue seemed like it had been uh, overdubbed, like it had been uh, covered in post or whatever, like it had been re-recorded. Uh, not, it wasn't even so much that uh, it didn't match the the lip movements of the actors, because I think it did. It, there was just a, a quality to it that sounded like it wasn't. It didn't feel as crisp as I remember the show being. Giles, in particular, there were a couple of line deliveries of Giles that felt like that had been recorded in a you know, in a studio long after yeah. the show had been shot. With a lot of ADR after. Yeah. And I don't know. I just don't ever remember noticing that before. So it kind of stood out to me in this episode, but I may have been imagining that. Um, Not something that I particularly noticed though. Okay. In, in my, it might have happened. So. Yeah. Uh, so this episode, um, I, I want to get your impressions of the episode as a whole, and then we can dive into details. But I would just say for myself, this is, I felt like this was kind of a, a not particularly satisfying attempt um, to, uh, to move the kids past um, high school. Well, I, I feel like the show has done this a few times and, and I think it probably does it a few more times. I don't feel like this episode is the final word on, Hey, these kids are grown up. High school is behind them. But uh, for some reason, this episode to me felt pretty clumsy in the way that it like, like it literally takes the kids back to their school days. <laughs> Buffy uh, is in a, at least the beginnings of a questionable relationship with a mysterious super powered boy. Uh, and because of that, she's lying or hiding things or just not being fully open with Giles and her friends. Uh, we get Percy comes back of all characters. Yes. Willow's sort of jock pupil uh, from back in the day. He shows up and uh, again makes her manages to to make a comment that leaves her feeling insecure, like uh, like the insecure little nerd girl that she claims she hasn't been for a very long time. 
um, I think it was doomed. I don't think it was a new man. I think it was doomed where Spike uh, gets in a particularly cutting jape at Xander's expense that kind of dials him back into Zeppo mode almost, sort of making him question whether he's of any use to the team at all. And then, of course, there's the fact that the episode literally takes the characters back to the school and back to the Hellmouth, and Buffy physically dives into the Hellmouth. Um, so, I don't, I don't know. My my impression is that it was, uh, it felt it all felt a little bit clumsy and on the nose, uh, particularly when the episode ends with Willow having to make the remark of everything seems so small as they're walking away from like the burned out husk of Sunnydale High. So, um, am I just being overly critical? Help me out here, John. I don't think you're being critical. Okay. Although I do really enjoy the clumsiness of it. Okay. It's kind of it's kind of adorable. Uh, it's it's only like six months after they graduated, about uh, right. Just about right. So it's a little bit of a look back. How uh, we we haven't come far. But looks how let's check check how things are going right now. It's a little bit of this and contrasting, uh, and con- it's a little also a lot about contrasting their current reality with Buffy and Will in college, with Zender doing his odd jobs, with Spike wearing very colorful shirts. <laughs> yeah, and looking back a little bit about what have changed so far and about them also dealing with another apocalypse crisis. Yeah. I mean, so I, 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 I don't want to feel like I'm coming down too hard on this show because um, I think you're, you're right in, in fiction, they've only been, they're only a few months removed from high school. So it's, we can't expect them to all be adults and to, be completely over like their high school years. Um, college is a confusing time. And, and uh, the sort of the overarching metaphor of this season is the whole growing up and leaving childish things behind, I guess. So I get that. Um, I just, in, in the actual, actual execution of the episode itself, I felt that like it was a little frustratingly clumsy, but um, some of that perhaps was intentional. Like, yeah, you may have a point it, it may actually be, you know, sort of to, to put us in the headspace of these characters who are all feeling very, for whatever reason they've recently, you know, however far it may seem like they've come, they're kind of being knocked back on their emotional heels and they don't necessarily all feel like they're grownups. So. Um, Is the part of starting college and questioning if you are really changing, if you're really growing starting to grow yourself as a person mm-hmm. the, the so um i'm just going to keep using the word clumsy it it was it was a little weird that and and the show even kind of the episode even kind of lampshades this it's a little bit weird that um we were given another um apocalypse like giles even says it's the end of the world and everyone's like again <laughs> um so it's uh, it could have been like just really humorous and played for laughs. I'm sure it was meant to be played for laughs, but it it could have been really humorous to have them throw in this completely random um, world-ending apocalypse 
that the characters just sort of offhandedly deal with while they're actually dealing with other stuff. Like, oh, gee, another apocalypse. Um, Riley says in one of these episodes, I can't remember which one, where he's like, um, you know, with you, I have to, I feel like I have to know what the plural of apocalypse is. He's <laughs> um, on the next one. That's the next one. Okay. That's the next um, one. But I mean, he's got a point. Uh, you really need to know the the plural of apocalypse. Apocalypse. I don't remember, but um, yeah. So it was just it was kind of weird to to introduce the idea of an apocalypse and then have it be. Um, it it really was like super easy to deal with, and that in itself could have been the the joke of the episode. But I don't know. It didn't. The joke didn't land as well as I wish it had for me. Yeah, they were trying to play up a little bit about uh, with, about Giles brushing off Buffy when she first mentioned that it might be a crisis after the right. earthquake. Yeah, and yeah. Giles pretty much just brushes it off, and that's part of the joke about he finally admitting that it's a it's an actual crisis and it's not a one crisis that that the Scoobies had to deal with. Yeah, that's a very good point that he was he was really not. Uh, paying attention or he was he wasn't into the idea most, when yeah, Buffy came to him with it. about the initiative itself which at this point he doesn't know about yet right yeah um all right well so uh what what about this episode stands out to you as good I, I mean I've already I've nitpicked it enough what what good things in this episode were you particularly fond of Despite being very clumsy, I really enjoyed the callbacks. Although mm-hmm. it's really weird that the school was still in that shambles after six months. I, I want to ask, why has no one cleaned up? This is a missed opportunity, a storytelling opportunity, in my opinion. Why has no one cleaned up the the extra crispy mayor meat yet? I feel like I feel like surely that could have been used as a spell component or part of some demonic ritual at this point. You'd think that somebody would go in and scrape up pieces of the mayor post Ascension. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I guess it's just been sitting around for all these months. That's something that they never really explored. How, how is the political structure? I know this is, a little bit too serious about yeah. about a, a show that we mostly are fighting monsters and and vampires, but they never really address what happens after the mayor basically dies. And we've known that the mayor has been the basically the mayor of Sunnydale for like a century. Right. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it makes sense. The mayor has been the mayor for as long as he was, and he was the the corrupt head of the local political structure and um he's dead he turned into a giant snake and melted into the under the tiles of sunnydale high um so i guess maybe it's not that unrealistic that the school has just been left sitting there this whole time because who knows what sort of political uh chaos is going on while all of the various holes in the administration are being filled behind the scenes right now Still, I just feel like some wizard or or uh, witch or demon would have gone in with a little uh, evidence jar or something, a little petri dish to scoop up some magical uh, mayor remnants. But whatever. In my fanfic, that's happened. 
another thing that I enjoyed about this episode is a little bit of they're starting to after we really find out that Riley is part of the initiative mm-hmm. and Buffy finding out about this is playing up a little bit of the different methods that the Scoobies use and what's the military use as part of the initiative to hunt the demons or the whatever word they use to define them, which I can't Host- remember. Right. Hostile subterrestrials. Exactly. That's, that's the word. I like, I like, I like, um, Buffy was like, you probably have some fun euphemisms for them. Unfriendlies or non-sapiens. I like non-sapiens. That's funny. But, um, and they do continue this, this arc towards the next episode also by exploring what are the difference between the methodologies that they use. Right. The fact that they, they are not even aware about Buffy being real. They treat the Slayer as a, as a herbal legend. Basically, yeah. So, so I wanted to ask you about the scene when Riley, uh, Riley and Forrester are walking through the initiative complex, and um, Riley brings up the subject of the Slayer. And first of all, it, it's weird to me. I, I get it. I like the joke, but it's weird to me that uh, Riley, who is of those two, he's the senior officer. Um, he's the one who most seriously. Uh, you know, like he he takes his relationship with the initiative serious. Uh, he is a devout follower of uh, Professor Walsh. So it's weird to me that Riley has never heard of the Slayer before, but Forrest has. Um, but OK, I'll allow that for the joke. But what did you think? Again, is this me being am I just being super nitpicky or super critical? Am I looking for things? But what did you think about the idea of having Forrest, who's one of the very, very few persons of color that we ever see on the show, um, that while he's talking about um, the Slayer and while they're having that conversation, um, he refers to um, the hostiles, the demons and everything is what they uh, that they're dealing with as just animals. Like he's very dismissive of them. uh, And he a couple of times refers to them as just animals and animals in cages. And I don't know, there was there was something about the fact that they put that line into Forrest's mouth that felt kind of weird to me. It felt wrong. Yeah, it felt weird to me. And it, this might be because on my other podcast, we just did a review of uh, the graphic novel series March by uh, John Lewis about the civil rights movement and everything. So I'm a little bit keyed up on civil rights issues and, and, um, and the treatment of African-Americans and that kind of stuff. So... Again, as with everything else I'm talking about, this may be completely in my head, but is that something that was weird to you? It does feel weird. Okay. Also, the fact that uh, other than Maggie Walsh, it seems that the entire, almost the entire initiative structure is, is men, a composed of men. We don't see a lot of women there also. Do we ever see any women? I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. You, you, you think we do? We I think we might see some peop- some random women during the final episodes from the season okay. when the, the, the compound actually got attacked. But mostly, we see people featured are mostly men when they gather the few teams, when Riley is basically briefing them about the mission and, and, and the things, we, all we see are men. And yeah. that's weird for me, really weird for me when... 
when when one of the main leaders of the organization is the women. Yeah, I wonder if that. Um, I I confess I hadn't thought of that before. I'm trying to remember um, if there's ever been a scene where we've where there's been like there's been plenty of like lab technicians and stuff walking around in the background, but I genuinely don't remember if any of them have been women either. So I don't know if it was an intentional choice that the show made to have this organization that is military, which um, is, is usually thought of uh, right, rightly or wrongly as a masculine thing. If having this very masculine military agency run by one woman, if Maggie if Walsh is like the only woman we see and she is the most powerful figure in that establishment, or if it was just the, the accidental casual sort of misogyny that happens in Hollywood and probably was even, even worse in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. I had, I, it embarrasses me that I don't think I've ever noticed that before. I've never questioned why aren't there any female agents? I know that later, um, spoilers, <laughs> this is a spoiler podcast. Um, I know that later in the series, um, Riley ends up with a female soldier, but I can't remember if she's from the initiative or not. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, she's just a military. She's, yeah. She was a military. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so funny stuff in this, I, I said that I subconsciously relate funny dialogue to Jane Espenson, whether that's fair or not, but uh, some of the funny lines in this, um, Giles had a great line when um, he's researching, you know, the components of this particular apocalypse and everything, and he's looking for that, what was it, the the word of viosis? Val- like that. Yeah, whatever that MacGuffin Val- was, and he, and he was looking that up. Uh, and he he flips through a book and sees a picture of it and realizes, oh crap, I've got that. Um, his line is, "Oh, as usual, dear." <laughs> I loved his I love that line and I loved his delivery of that line. Uh, Anthony Stewart hit as a treasure. Um, and then Spike, of course, uh, gets to be hilarious because I'd forgotten. Um, for some reason, I was thinking, uh, just based on episode title, that the next one, a new man was the one where Spike discovers the secret of his new lo- his new condition, where he learns that uh, he can actually hurt uh, demons and stuff like that. I thought, the- I remembered a new man being all about that. I completely forgot that it was a Giles-centric. So when Doomed had him discover that towards the end, and it even goes out on the, the wonderful uh, Spike 2.0 when he's like, come on, vampires, grr, nasty, let's annihilate them for justice <laughs> and for the safety of puppies and Christmas. Um, that was that was great. I, I, I laughed was... out loud at that stuff. I adore that element of Spike. Yeah, Doomed the episode with uh, s- several great moments, but it's just very uneven yeah. overall. Yeah. My gosh, was that thunder in the background? Yeah. Holy cow, man. <laughs> it's pouring rain over here. Oh, man. It's the, it really is the end of the world. Dang. All right. <laughs> well, I hope you are sheltered and safe right now. Um, yeah. Is there anything else about this episode? Um, I feel like I've been hopelessly unfair. So I want I, if, if you want to be kind to this episode, please do so. I don't want to shortchange it. 
Um, I think there's one last thing that I want to go back to about this episode is right at the beginning. Uh, the beginning of the episode is immediately after the conclusion of Hush. So despite yeah. the episode airing like a month later. And bes- and despite yeah, this, the- despite this podcast being recorded a month later, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the start episode is right as at starts right at the end of the previous episodes, mm-hmm. and addresses the fact that Riley and Buffy confront each other about their secret identities, um, including. Buffy being surprised by the fact that Riley being involved in this world and not being aware of the Slayer at all, mm-hmm. uh, which we are already discussed briefly. And there's also the discussion about Buffy's superpowers. Right. Um, which reminds me a lot of, of a thing that also gets a little bit explored in the next episode, which is Buffy having superpowers. So... Technically, she doesn't need to look super buff. Right. She, the source of her strength is supernatural. Yeah. Is that contrast about the um, the classic image that we get from, for example, Superman? Superman, which technically also has superpowers and doesn't need to look as buff as the as he's usually drawn. Right. And, <laughs> I don't know where I'm getting with this. Anyway, uh, and that's something that happens with Buffy. She looks like a skinny girl, and maybe her punch might make her look like she's punching like a girl, but technically, that punch holds a lot of strength. Uh, Well, this this series has made... um... I mean, obviously, Joss Whedon is a huge comic book fan, and he goes on and does the Avengers and and all that. But uh, this series, from the very beginning, has made all sorts of references to superheroes and comics of various kind. There have been uh, Xander had a, a terrible issue of I think X Men twenty ninety nine on his wall in his room one time that I called out on an episode, uh, and there have been I'm pretty sure there have been multiple references to at least Superman. But in the in Doomed, there is a uh, an off-the-cuff reference to Superman when uh, I think it was Forrest says something about he's talking to Riley and he's like and you come yeah, from that Smallville. farm town just like Smallville yeah or whatever um, and then in the next episode uh, in A New Man I think it was in A New Man when uh, um, Riley is talking to Buffy and he's like you're strong like, yeah, like Spider-Man, Spider-Man strong <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, hilarious yeah so I anytime the show can draw that stuff in i i love that as a lifelong fan of comic books but um and i feel i i also feel like um there either have been or there certainly will be some illusions made um may possibly not in a flattering way (laughs) between riley and captain america i think at some point somebody either calls him that or there there are some jokes about him being captain america um interesting that uh he uh that riley keeps getting um in some way keeps getting conflated with the the superheroes who to a lot of people at least are looked at as sort of the the wet noodle boy scout (laughs) uh superheroes like a superman is 
referred to as the big blue boy scout uh, a lot of people look down their nose at superman because he's such a goody goody and um for a long time at least prior to the marvel cinematic universe this may have changed now but i feel like before that at the time That's this show was airing a lot of people felt the same way about captain america like ah he's a goody goody <laughs> yeah um and it's i feel like those are the heroes that um keep getting sort of attached to our impression of Riley, whereas Buffy gets associated with Spider-Man, who's the much cooler superhero. And also with Riley being the soldier boy. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So I, I apologize to anybody who's like a huge fan of this episode and, or Marty, David and Jane. I feel like I was unnecessarily cruel to Doomed. So I want to move into uh, 412, A New Man now, because I I feel like I'm probably going to be a lot kinder to this one than I was to Doomed. But um, do or uh, A New Man, this episode kind of furthers the season's theme of like separation and insecurity and, and growing pains and all that. So we've got Giles has his like midlife crisis. Uh, where he feels like he's being left behind by his kids as they grow up without him. Uh, we've got Buffy and Willow who both find themselves in the early stages of relationships with partners that that either are, in the case of Buffy and Riley, or at least at this point seem to be, in the case of Willow and Tara, significantly less powerful than themselves. I thought that was interesting um, that those two, like Buffy's got the whole scene where she's sparring with, with uh, Riley and he he looks genuinely flustered by the fact that she is significantly stronger than he is. Um, and then there's the whole magic scene between Willow and Tara where um, stuff goes crazy. And at least at this point in the series, the kind of implication I think the fans were being given is that uh, Willow is like super strong, uh, much stronger than novice Tara. Yes. And all, and there's also the aspect of both from the sparring and also from Willow and Tara trying magic. That it's something that they use more, a lot more later on on the show, mm -hmm. which is taking these kind of scenes and kind of referencing sex, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they're not having sex yet. I feel I, I think there are at least two. Um, significant examples of the series showing um, oh God there may be more but I'm thinking of two examples where the series uh, conflates um, Buffy having sex with someone with a lot of collateral damage like a lot of chaos happening around them or in at least one example of the house literally coming down around them <laughs> so that's weird why is sex so violent on this show what is up with that <laughs> Uh, a new man is our annual, almost annual, thing season two episode featuring Buffy's birthday. Right. Although this time the crisis is not a Buffy crisis. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at the list of of birthday episodes, um, which we get in every season but one and seven. I don't. Yes. I'm almost positive there isn't one in season seven. I don't even remember if there's a reference to her birthday in season seven. Uh, but in seasons two through six, there is an, o there's an overt explicit like uh birthday episode that happens. And, um, 
I feel like, well, let me look at this really quick. I've kind of got some notes here. I feel like this is the only one where the crisis is not really even about Buffy. I mean, I suppose the crisis here is that she almost kills her father figure because her father figure has been turned into a demon, but it really didn't feel like this was about Buffy suffering. This felt like a, a Giles thing, not a Buffy thing. Definitely not. It was definitely a Giles-centric episode uh, in which we also have the return of Robin and the final appearance in the show of Robin Sachs as Ethan Rain. Mm-hmm. Who got one of my... F- one of the funniest lines in the episode um, when he's he steps out of the shadows of the crypt and starts doing his uh, ominous monologue of evil and then Giles just walks back in like is there someone in here? <laughs> and Ethan's like oh bugger I thought you'd gone that was hilarious that whole thing was fun just cracked me up um, yeah I think I'd forgotten that this was the very last time we see him yes uh, Canon-wise, they actually only kill him mid- in the comics, but... Okay, I couldn't remember if he came back in the comics or not. I was I was going to yeah. ask, I was gonna ask, does this mean when the initiative carts him off that uh, he's just being dissected in a secret lab somewhere? He gets killed during the Twilight Kirkhoff of Season 8. Oh, good Anyways, lord, which I read and I clearly don't remember. <laughs> But this is the last appearance. Sadly, this is the last appearance of Robin Sachs mm-hmm. in the series. And he passed away in 2013. Oh, dang. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't think I knew that. Crap. Um, rest in peace. I feel terrible. I didn't realize that. Um, and since we're talking about death, let's go deeper into this sad part. This episode is directed by Michael Gershon. Uh, who just coincidentally was the director of Passion, which was the other episode that I did of the podcast. And Michael huh. was a very long time DP for the series. He he was the DP for 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 the for Buffy the Vampire Slayer for like eighty one episodes Dang. between season one and season five. Okay. And he also passed away last year. <laughs> Man. Johnny, why are you bringing all this sad stuff onto the podcast? People don't want this. (laughs) People want to to be happy. They don't want to hear about this. So, well, that's... That's uh, So did he... um, Do you know off the top of your head, does he direct any episodes after this? Yes, I think so, but I don't remember which ones. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to try and remember to pay attention to that then, because uh, I do feel like this episode was... Uh, so the previous episode, uh, Doomed, was directed by James Contner, who's who has directed many, many episodes of the show. Um, but as I've as has already been detailed, I wasn't taken by that episode. Uh, A New Man, on the other hand, I felt like it was an improvement all the way around. It was first of all, it was written solely by Jane Espenson, Espenson. Yeah. yeah. Um, or at least she's the sole creditor writer. And uh, I also just felt overall the the actor performances, the direction, um, all of it felt. To me, it felt a lot crisper on this episode than it did on the previous one. But um, yeah, I'm going to have to, I'll try and remember to pay attention for Michael Gershman in the future. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see, what um, what do we got here? So I wanted to comment just because I'm old and uh, insecure. I have absolutely felt like Giles. So at the beginning of the episode, we get Giles at the at the surprise party. 
Yeah. And he's clearly out of his element. He clearly feels uncomfortable and like the old man hanging out with a bunch of kids at their party. I have felt like that. I mean, I, I just had a birthday. I'm almost 50. Uh, so I definitely feel like that now, but I've pretty much felt like that my whole life. I I'm, I'm older now than Giles was at the time that he filmed that episode. Um, I think, I think Anthony Stewart had in 2000, I think he was 46 years old. Maybe. I don't know how old in fiction Giles is supposed to be, but if we just assume he's the same age as, um, as uh, Anthony Stewart had, then he was 46 right there, which shouldn't be that old, shouldn't seem that old, but I've kind of felt that way my entire life. So uh, I was immediately put into Giles's headspace and felt, felt uh, I went on this journey with him <laughs> just because I'm an uncomfortable old guy at children's parties. And he's treated by the gang like the parent who's kind of there. They even goes as far as to, hey, why is Maggie Washington here? Because she's like 40. She wouldn't be like, she wouldn't like to hang out with other kids. Right. Yeah. But Giles right there. Yeah, exactly. Poor Giles. Um, uh, let's see. What else? So I was a little worried... As I've said, re on revisiting this show, I'm having to relearn what each episode is. I already said I thought New Man was going to be about uh, Spike discovering he could fight demons again. But um, So when the episode started, and, and it started to kind of come back to me what, what the story was, I was initially a little concerned um, that this was just another alcohol is evil metaphor that I've... I've I or my guests have pointed out a couple times um, on this podcast before, I think maybe all in this season. I don't remember if it was earlier seasons, but season four seems to maybe have a thing about reminding us that, hey, guys, alcohol's bad for you. <laughs> so uh, I was a little worried maybe at first that that's sort of where this episode was going to go when Giles was getting drunk with Ethan and all that stuff. Yeah, it, so. wasn't, it wasn't as much that alcohol might be evil but beware when you're drinking and you're not so much aware about your surroundings yourself yeah kind of a weird casual little roofie reference that was <laughs> snuck into the episode there such different times like to to have obviously that whole thing was meant to be a joke with him saying oh i slipped something into your drink while you weren't looking or whatever um it's meant to be funny and maybe a little off-putting, but in today's climate, it would be difficult to have a character say that line and and have it be laughed off. Exactly. Um, but anyways, I'm yeah. I'm yeah. Obviously, that's not the road the show was going down with uh, the evils of alcohol. It was more about the evils of the really obscure and hard to figure out plan of Ethan Rain. What what exactly was he just? I mean, was he just messing with Giles? What was what was he doing? He didn't seem like he had... Well, I mean, I suppose he does worship chaos, so I guess it's only fair that he does random stuff. But still, it seemed weird that he just pops up and turns Giles into a demon, and then the next time we see him, he's frantically packing in his hotel room in case someone comes to find him. Uh, he's the one who actually... Who's the first person to mention the entire concept of Project 314, which... Yeah. In a few episodes, we'll find out that it's actually the Project Adam thing. And right. Did he want 
to send Giles down to the initiative or something like that. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Um, uh, good on you, man. I, I love that idea. It's, um, I mean, in all, in all truth, it probably was just, uh, Ethan rain worships chaos. And so, um, yeah, messing with Giles was part of the fun. Yeah, that he just wants to mess with Giles, but I love the the possibility that uh, yeah he brings up this whole three fourteen thing and talks about how and demons are terrified of it and all that. And so what does he do? He turns Giles into a demon because he knows hey this three fourteen thing is out there messing with demons. Let's let it mess with Giles. Awesome. I can't. That never even crossed my mind. <laughs> You're so, so smart. In addition I to being patient. <laughs> Uh, I think this episode can be basically split in two parts from the point that G from the start of the episode to the point that Giles meets up with 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 Ethan and mm -hmm. the back half of the episode the first half with the entire entire crisis of Giles basically dealing with empty nest crisis empty nest with him trying to meet Maggie Walsh without success uh, with very weird, weird interactions with both Buffy and Willow, and also Xander, when he tr they try to track down the um, the crisis that the drives identified, until the Willow and Xander basically tells him that probably the initiative already took care of it, yeah. and he finally finds out that Buffy's dating one of the commando guys. Which, uh, this episode at least, I don't remember if it's ever brought back, but this episode doesn't bother to actually explain if um, the initiative took care of the demon prince. What was his name? Barvane? I can't, I think yeah. I've got it in my notes. Um, uh, yeah, Barvane. Um, which, uh, another sort of odd possibly clumsy coincidence but this show does it all the time so it's okay where giles is dusting and he just happens upon a book and opens it right to the page that, is, that shows him the demon prince that's supposed to rise on the third full moon, moon after yeah after. whatever it was um so my read on that was for all we know in the fiction of the buffy verse that may have been very real like um, I, Giles doesn't seem like the kind of person that would read that and make and make that up. But in the context of the themes of this episode, to me, that just felt like Giles was kind of reaching for relevance. He was looking for a way to get to 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 write himself back into the narrative, basically, and to to make sure that he was still involved and important to the mission. Um, so the fact that, as far as I know, as far as I remember. Um, the, the demon prince Barvane doesn't ever actually rise on the third full moon after whatever the day was. Um, either the initiative did, like Willow said, the initiative did take care of it. And we just, there's no reason for us to see that. Um, or, uh, yeah, it wasn't a real thing. I guess maybe Giles was just making stuff up to try and put himself back into the story. Exactly. Just to be relevant again and actually have a role because so far he's unemployed. Right. He's between he's between projects or whatever it was he says, yeah. Yeah. Um The me so when, when Giles finally does meet up with Walsh, uh 
I don't remember what my thoughts on Walsh were when I originally watched the show. Um, I, I, I probably wasn't a huge fan of hers, but I don't remember if I just outright hated her or recognized that she was, oh, she's the villain of this season. But it's entirely possible that the moment with her and Giles... <laughs> when when she is so clearly dismissive and and condescending and rude to Giles that was probably the moment where i was like to heck with this woman she is clearly the big bad of the season don't talk to giles that way i think that was the reaction from from most fans but yeah. on this rewatch it frustrates me a bit that we don't we won't get a lot of interaction with her and she's um, female leader that pretty much gets killed in a few episodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I can't, I can't remember if I brought this up in the last episode. I, I think I wanted to talk to Ken about it when we were talking about hush, but I don't remember if I did or not the whole Buffy has Giles as a father figure and Riley has Walsh as a mother figure. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm just looking at my notes and, and I'm recognizing the parallel there. And I know that a lot of fans don't rank Adam very high on the list of cool big bads. <laughs> Adam doesn't get a lot of love, and and um, I, I I think I think he's all right. But maybe I might sort of be lamenting the lost potential for this season, where it really could have been they they really could have played up and and stretched out the whole parallel between. Uh, Giles and Walsh and their their different methods of training their training kids. their children yeah yeah exactly yeah um I guess I hadn't I had either forgotten or just hadn't really paid attention to the fact that we that there's not an awful lot of interaction is there ever any more interaction between Giles and Walsh I don't know I genuinely don't remember I don't that. think so we get we get Buffy joining the initiative in the next few episodes and shortly after she's dead Wow. <laughs> wow. Time flies when, uh, when you want Walsh to be dead. Um, yeah, I, uh, I had forgotten that. So I'm going to add that. I'm going to add sort of my, my, uh, sadness at the lost potential of the Giles versus Walsh arc that we could have had, um, to the, my, my regret at not getting at least one of the two, uh, Giles spinoffs that so easily could have been set up from this. I think Ripper had been rumored for a long time, but I don't remember how serious that was. Do you remember if a, a, a Ripper spinoff was a real thing or were we all just talking about it? I think around this time, there's really around this time, season four, mm -hmm. they really start to discuss it. Okay. I remember they also mentioned like a special for BBC or something like that. Mm. Uh, it never really materialized and never became real. Yeah. I knew it was something that people spoke about, but I didn't remember if it was like if it had ever been offered to us and just never happened or not. But I, I will forever be sad that we just did not get the Ripper spinoff that Anthony Stewart had deserved. Um, so anytime Ethan Rain pops back up and, and he and Giles get to reminisce one way or another about his days as Ripper, I'm always like, oh, man. What could have been? Um, and then the other Giles spinoff that is set up here, and we get hints of again uh, later on in later episodes, um, is the Giles and Spike buddy comedy that we so desperately needed. 
Um, I love the fact that we, we get a little bit of it in this episode. Uh, and like I said, it pops up at least once, maybe, maybe a couple times in future episodes of the show, but I, I would have watched an entire half hour weekly sitcom of just Giles and Spike being forced to get along like an odd couple. Yeah, we get this from Giles and Spike, and we also get the odd couple thing with Xander and Spike being temporarily roommates. Right, yeah. Which, that's also fun, but I, I, I actually prefer the Spike and Giles show to the Spike and Xander show. Agreed. Um, but, totally agree. Yeah. Um, what else do we have here? Oh, I want uh, a, a little piece of trivia I found was that um, when they were, Head was talking about the makeup and how he did not miss it. Like once they were done with this episode, he was happy to be done with the, the full body suit and the, the makeup and all that stuff. Um, but he did say that he convinced them, I guess originally when they were designing his Fjarl demon look or whatever, they wanted to put him in slippers. I don't know if he meant that literally, like they wanted him to walk around in house slippers or if just costume wise, they were going to be sort of flats, comfortable shoes or whatever. He convinced them um, to put him in heels. So the Fjarl demon that he wore actually had raised heels. And you can see him a little bit when in the scene when he chases uh, Maggie Walsh down the street, which is also hilarious. Um, but uh, so obviously... Anthony Stewart Head had played Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, in the stage production of that. And so he was very he was very used to wearing heels and he thought that it would give the character an interesting gait to watch him sway while he was wearing high heels. So I just thought that was an interesting detail. And also we get a really weird side of a demon in daylight. That's right. When he runs out and I That's caught myself so thinking... Yeah, when he's running through the town and like the the woman like snatches her kid out of the way as he as he almost runs over the kid. I was like, you know, this doesn't happen in the show very often that you see. Uh, first of all, one of the monsters running through town where normal citizens just see it and like have to snatch their kids out of the way. I don't feel like that happens very often. Um, and then yeah, you're right. When he runs out and the sun is shining on the top of his head, I distinctly remember thinking he better pull that blanket up over his head. <laughs> But obviously, it doesn't matter for Fjarl demons. He has the mucus, mucus, mucus thing. <laughs> that mucus thing, yeah. Mucus thing. Uh, if you're going to sneeze, just be sure and let me know. Exactly. Um, so I have no idea. I have, I have no idea what this means, but I just thought it was. It amuses me to point out that, uh, and I think we've seen this a few times before, and it was just this episode where it dawned on me where the, the light went on in my head on Buffy's door, like the, the door in her dorm room, she's got a poster that says chocolate on Riley's <laughs> dorm room door. He has a poster that says balls. I didn't notice that. <laughs> so funny. I have no idea what that means. Make of that what you will, but Buffy's got chocolate. Riley's got balls. I don't, I don't know what that's about, but it's um, an odd joke about the, for, from the set dressers. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, what else did we other, get? Other than the really funny arc that we see Giles go through, not just, I don't know, if, I, I wouldn't call it just funny, but also kind of sad. Mm -hmm. But 
the other really relevant thing that we get over this episode is Buffy and Riley's relationship getting deeper and we see them really dealing with the fact that Buffy's so much stronger than than him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see a little bit of Buffy talking with Willow about her guilt, about herself holding, having to hold back to try to address Riley's male ego, not to mm-hmm. cut him down. And I think this is a really interesting thing in to view in this world where women have, still have to try to act less competent that they are just just to appease men sometimes. Yes, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, yeah, the whole Buffy sort of uh, downplaying her strength, I, like she's done that before on the show. Uh, but in this in this instance, first of all, I had forgotten. I, I know that Riley... Maybe I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong here, if, if your memory of all this is better than mine, which I'm sure it is. I th- think that I know that Riley and all of the initiative soldiers are on sort of the Buffyverse equivalent right. of Captain America's super soldier serum, right? Aren't, aren't they Something amped like, up a little bit? Yes. Okay. We'll learn about this in the next episode. Oh, okay. I, I'm just jumping the gun. So, yes. so I remembered that there was some level of equality between the two of them. I had forgotten that she was so like significantly stronger than Riley. I thought that they were, that they were a little bit closer. Um, but I did remember that at a later stage in their relationship, that becomes one of not the only, but that becomes one of the issues that Riley is dealing with or is, is failing to deal with deals with very poorly is the, very poorly. the, the fact that he, for one reason he's or another, can't one. handle a girlfriend that's stronger than him. He's the weaker one between them. Right. Um, which uh, I remembered that that was coming down the line. In this episode, um, I, I'd forgotten that it happened almost immediately. Like, first of all, I love that sparring scene because I always have to call out when there's fight choreography in an episode and, and like it really stands out and I feel like it was done well. Um, I thought that fight choreography it was too short it didn't go on long enough for my for my tastes but i thought it was done really well um but then when she like kicks him all the way across the the dojo or whatever there was something like his reaction to it his face looked like um for a second i was like oh do we just go straight into like like immediately into the whole he can't deal with a girl that's stronger than him i thought that came later but it looked for a second like he was immediately upset about it I don't know if I'm I'm reading into that or not because it, by the end of the episode it seems like he's cool with it. He, he tries to show that he's cool with it. Even this episode when I think this episode when he brings Buffy to meet Maggie Walsh, mm-hmm. properly meet her as the Slayer and she basically tells them about her entire field experience through the last 5 years. Right. Yeah. With her bragging about what forcing demons and okay, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> they want him to. They want him to brag, and the result is Buffy probably killed her that many demons when she was she was still in LA when she was like yeah, fifteen years old exactly. 
Um, so this is there. There are any number of things that I'm I'm hoping I will remember to track about my experience with Buffy as I continue doing this podcast. And and I keep calling out because I want my listeners and my guests to help me track this to to hold me hold me accountable for this stuff. Um, to see if on this revisit, going back through it again for the first time in forever, if I have different opinions on things, if I feel differently about the stuff that I, than I did the first time. Um, so I'm, I'm adding Riley to that list because like I said, I, I tend to be much more forgiving of the character Riley than a lot of people. Most fans, not to overgeneralize, but I feel like most fans kind of hate Riley. <laughs> um, and I always, I always feel like I need to push back against that. So part of that is um that i i want to be careful how i word this i don't want to get myself in trouble um his feelings of emasculation kind of makes sense to me now we'll see or specifically i will see when we reach that point in the series when that becomes when they shine a light on that part of Riley's personality, we'll see how I feel about it then. But at the moment, like I get uh, at this moment in the series, I feel like Riley is genuinely trying to be a good guy or he, he is a good guy and he's genuinely trying to be cool with all this. And he doesn't, if he does feel uncomfortable about Buffy being stronger than him, he, he probably feels uncomfortable about the fact that he feels uncomfortable about it. Like he, he feels like a genuine, genuinely a good guy to me. And um, we're seeing straight out of the gate, we're seeing multiple examples of him being basically sort of emasculated by Buffy. Not intentionally. She's not being cruel, but she's obviously stronger than him. She she sort of not cuts him down, but, you know, he he talks proudly about how he killed 11 vampires and six demons. And then the next scene is obviously him being like, like you said, she probably killed that many when she was 15 years old or whatever. So I just feel like there are numerous examples of that coming in Riley's future. And uh, my memory is that it seemed sort of that, that Riley's progression, his his gradual um, insecurity makes sense to me, I suppose. As the character arc, I think totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. We have this progression, and we're about to learn that the initiative soldiers, commando guys, are enhanced by some drugs in the next few episodes. Uh-huh. Yeah. These drugs are removed by the end of the season when basically the, the initiative is destroyed. So next season we have a even weaker Riley dealing with a really strong Buffy. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, I, for, I forgot that he got normalized. Uh, okay. Yeah, and adding to his insecurity is his desire to be needed. And I think this is a lot that breaks them up by midway through season five. He really wants to be needed. And that's not so much what Buffy is about herself. Right. Now, see, and that's, again, we'll get there when we get there. I don't want us to ignore this episode so I can talk about Riley. Yeah, I don't want to talk about Riley a season and a half from now, but... Um, hearing you put it that way, hearing you frame it as his insecurity and his, his, his need to feel needed. Um, maybe he handles it poorly. It, it obviously goes off the rails and doesn't work out well for anybody. Uh, but, um, 
that kind of mirrors Giles in this episode. Exactly. Now, now, obviously, Giles's story arc is different from Riley's, but this episode is explicitly about Giles feeling uh, being in, being insecure, and feeling needed. yeah, wanting to feel needed. I, in fact, I I implied that he may have maybe intentionally misread the signs in order to write himself back into the action. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I just, I think that the, the need to be needed, I feel like is a perfectly understandable and human impulse. And so as I progress back through this series and rediscover this stuff, we'll see if, um, I maintain some of this, uh, maybe misplaced sympathy for Riley, or if I really do fall into line with uh, the rest of the fandom who apparently think that he's just the worst. (laughs) So I don't know at the moment I'm, I'm team Riley. So I apologize. I'm really team spike, but at the moment I'm team Riley. I'm not anti Riley. That is I'm not anti Riley. Okay. There you go. That's fair. That works. Uh, is there anything else that we need? Um, there was tons of, I think both of these episodes had great spike stuff and we just, we didn't really talk a lot about spike, but, um, obviously this is setting stuff up for, uh, well, actually we get two setups here in the pre in doomed. We got the whole, um, spike discovered that he could, even though he couldn't hurt humans, he could still hurt humans with his words. Um, so that, that was, that's a setup for later in this season. I feel like yeah. where um, he he realizes that just because he can't punch Xander or Buffy or Willow or whatever doesn't mean that he's not capable of hurting of, them with other yeah. yeah ways like words yeah. And then of course the other obviously the big revelation is that uh, hey he can punch demons and so we we go out on the the whole yeah vampires let's go kill him for the safety of puppies which is great. Um, so that these two episodes establish the two potential ways forward for the character of Spike to remain uh, a relevant member of the series. <laughs> and will new viewers who, for some reason, are listening to a spoiler podcast and don't know what's coming. Um, yeah, we may or may not see both avenues of Spike <laughs> uh, followed in the future. In the next few episodes. In the next few episodes, yeah. And also seasons. <laughs> And comics. Damn those comics. Uh, okay. Uh, is there anything I else? Co- I think we covered one of the most important things about these episodes. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm just looking at my notes, and I had one quote here from Riley I was going to throw out. When after the initiative comes and takes and, like, hauls Ethan Rain away, and Riley turns and says, uh, I don't have the full quote, but he said something about uh, he'll be taken to a secret facility in Nevada or whatever. And then he says, I'm sure he'll be rehabilitated in no time. I can't figure out. And because I just said on Team Riley and I feel like Riley is genuinely a good guy, I'm going to say that he's just being super naive there. (laughs) But you could also read that as him. He knows that that. Ethan Rain is going to be treated just like the rest of the the hostile subterraneans or or subterrestrials, excuse me, uh, that they're going to haul him off and throw him into a lab and poke him with needles and stuff. Um, But yeah, I I prefer to believe that Riley was just being head in the clouds, naive, thinking that um, they'd do right by Ethan Rain. 
And since you mentioned uh, of quote that you really like, I didn't really actually took note of the notes, but just wrapping around that thing that we were discussing about Buffy and Riley, I really like the point when uh, they find out about Giles being attacked and Riley already had the initiative interfering and she said, no, you're not... And Riley doesn't want her to come with him. And no, you're not coming with me or something like that. Uh, yeah, you're coming said, with me. I'm allowing you to come with me. Yeah, she like says, I, I'm going and I'm letting you tag along or something like that. Yeah. 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 I think that was fantastic. One of my favorite moments. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, there's, there's, um, there's the potential for some great... Uh, contrasts and back and forth dynamic between multiple characters set up in in this season and in these episodes and um at least with the giles and walsh stuff we know that it's not necessarily followed <laughs> you know sadly yeah they they kind of they kind of drop that they don't do as much with that as we wish um i suppose it's debatable how well they the show handles the this interesting contrast the push and pull between buffy and riley but um yeah, you're right. In that scene in particular, it was um, it was interesting to see because it had always been awkward before that. The comparison you you talked about when she is introduced to the initiative and were were shown the difference between their methodologies. One of them uses the the as Walsh says, you know, we use the latest in technology and you poke things with a stick. Um, yeah. You know, that's just played up as sort of an awkward uh, contrast between the two. But I think the power dynamic between not only Buffy and Riley, but the Scooby gang and the initiative. It's obviously the power dynamic that the show meant to deal with. I just can't remember if it's super satisfying the way that they do. Mm -hmm. Yes. But. Here's a quote, so I, I really like the quote, so I, I like to read info. So Riley says, Buffy, I can't take you with me. And Buffy responds, you're not taking me with you. I'm going and I'm letting you come along. That's it. Yes. That's good. That's good. It's good stuff. I have my issues with that girl, but uh, I do um, I do like her when she stands strength and her power when she stands up for herself. Yeah. Okay, so anything else? Um, I I I liked this episode. I liked New Man much more than I liked Doomed. But I feel like even just having this conversation with you, I feel like both of these episodes are very clearly um, laying some groundwork and and setting up some pins that are going to be knocked down later. So I don't think either one of these is a wasted episode. And we have a few very strong episodes ahead. So. It's a good season. I know people who are don't feel as strongly about it as I do, but there are several good episodes upcoming. Um, yeah, let me look really quick at uh, what we've got coming up. So um, in the next episode of this podcast, I'm going to be looking at the I and team in Goodbye, Iowa. And as I've already said, I don't always remember, based on episode title, what goes on. But I th think... I think maybe I remember what those episodes are, um, but like uh, this year's girl and who are you are two fantastic episodes that we've still got coming up. Superstar is a great episode. Um, the Yoko factor primeval restless. Yeah. There's great stuff 
still ahead in this season. Um, I feel like season four maybe gets underappreciated just because it was it was deliberately designed to be the awkward fish out of water season. Like all of the characters are meant to feel like they're floundering and they really don't know what they're going to do with their lives at this point. That's intentional. And I think maybe that just sort of translates into viewer impressions as well. Yeah, they they have to be this this constructed till the end of the season when they come back they come back together as the units again. Right. Yeah. In fact, I'm looking uh I'm looking ahead at season 5 and this might be hyperbole. I don't know because again, I I'm not my memory is not crisp on what each episode is, but just sort of scanning the list of season four episodes and season five episodes. I feel like, uh, even though my overall impression is I really love season five a lot more than season four. I think there's a larger number of individual episodes in season four that I would hold up and say, I really loved that than there are even in season five. Agreed. And I do rank season five slightly higher than season four. (laughs) <laughs> but I do agree that if you look episode by episode, probably there's a really a stack of really strong episodes in season four more than season five. Yeah. Which has a probably a stronger season arc compared to season four. Yeah. So alright, it's gonna be an interesting journey. Oh, and my cat finally had to make her presence known. Can't go a single episode without uh hearing my cat. Um, all right, Johnny. Uh, unless there's anything else, I don't. I don't want to cut you off if there if there were any comments you wanted to make that we didn't get to. No, I'll go over here. I think I go. I went through all my notes. Okay. All right. Cool. So, again, uh, thank you very much for coming back, and uh, I, I want you to come back on the show again. Uh, I don't know if you've signed up for anything in the future, but you're welcome back. And I, I am doing my best. I am committing here on microphone where my list, where you and my listeners and God and everybody can hear me say it. I am as, as the powers that be are my witness. I'm getting back into a regular schedule on this podcast. So hopefully there won't be month long breaks between podcasts. Again, I'm going to try and dial back in, get in the zone. So my intention at least is that I will record, I'll record the next episode next week. We'll see how it works. But at any rate, thank you so much for, for being patient with me and for agreeing to come back. Uh, it's always fun talking to you, man. That, that was great. Um, is there anything that you want to pimp? Any, any websites or, or books or projects or whatever? If you want to read my weird tweets or check out my weird pictures on Instagram or Twitter, you can find me as Johnny T-Y-H, J-O-H-N-Y-T-Y-H. And that's it. All right. right. Um, And uh, as for listeners, uh, thank you for listening and for, again, being patient with me. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Um, while you're there, please rate us or write us a review. There are multiple podcasts in this genre, most of which are much more timely uh, and, and consistent than I am. But I would really appreciate it if you could go in there and say something nice about me or write me a review and, and sort of uh, spread the word. Um, if nothing else, it'll get more people to listen to the show so more people can write in and complain that I am not uh, consistent and timely. 
Uh, if you've got questions uh, for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything that we've talked about, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, or reach out to us on the Facebook group, which is, yes, Conversations with Conversations with Dead People. Um, so next, I'm going to say next week, but next episode, I uh, will be joined by, I haven't confirmed this guest yet but on the schedule uh i've got michael holland um supposedly will be coming back uh, he's the manager of television for warner brothers post-production creative services um he's been on the show before talking about revelations and lovers walk um i i've got his name down to rejoin me and we're going to talk about 413 the i and team and 414 goodbye iowa so michael if you're listening surprise you're on the next episode uh until then, Gur Arg, everybody. Gur Arg. <laughs> <laughs>